was coming down as Ralph Bunch, an American citizen. He made it clear that he didn't want to speak in behalf of the UN, and he simply wanted to be there as an American citizen, marching for freedom in his country. All of the work that went along with the uh, decolonization movement came from studies that Ralph Bunch started in 1939 and continued throughout his time at the UN. You're listening to The Lid Is On. I'm Connor Lennon. Ralph Bunch had a momentous career at the UN, with a role in the creation of the UN Charter and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, and through his work in the Trusteeship Council, where he took part in the decolonization of several countries. And he was also awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for his work mediating the 1949 armistice between Israel and neighbouring Arab countries. Half a century on from his death, Jessica Gigi from UN News spoke to another African-American trailblazer, Andrew Young, the first African-American US ambassador to the UN under President Jimmy Carter. Mr. Young told Jessica that Ralph Bunch has always been a huge influence on him, even in his early years. Ralph Bunch was one of my heroes all the way back to childhood. And it was a privilege to get to uh, work with him in the 60s when he came down to Selma. And then I met with him a couple of times with Dr. King in New York. There must have been quite an influence in your heart when you went to serve as U.S. Ambassador. Can you tell us about that? I started following Ralph Bunch, I guess it must have been in the 40s. I was at Howard University, where he had been a professor. And when he won the Nobel Prize, the year I graduated from Howard. So I was very much aware of his role and started reading up on him. When I met him, he was already a hero of mine. Ralph Bunch left Howard University, I think in 1939, and took a tour to Africa uh, to develop intelligence on Africa for the Second World War conflict with Germany. And he went by boat to Uh, Morocco and Tunisia and Egypt, and then went through the Suez Canal to uh, Kenya and South Africa. And he was the only one that, uh, that really knew anything about Africa as a continent uh, in relationship to the military intelligence that was necessary for the Second World War. I saw a movie, Five Graves to Cairo, and it was a story of the Second World War and General Rommel, the Desert Fox, and his plan uh, to stop uh, the Allies from conquering North Africa. And, It just so happened that the um, Tuskegee Airmen uh, had just uh, sort of been created. There was a a feeling in the military that black people couldn't fly planes. 
And Eleanor Roosevelt came down to Tuskegee and went up in an airplane with some of the Tuskegee pilots and went back and convinced her husband to create uh, the Tuskegee Airmen uh, as uh, uh, pilots for the Second World War. Now, the first defeat of the Nazi advances was in North Africa. And that's where they sent the Tuskegee Airmen. Now, nobody in history gives the Tuskegee Airmen credit uh, for defeating Rommel in North Africa. But some of the intelligence that Ralph Bunch brought back, I mean, it's inconceivable to me that Ralph Bunch and George Washington Carver at Tuskegee did not know each other. Everybody black that was br that brilliant knew each other. <laughs> And that uh, some of the ideas that Ralph Bunch got and some of the intelligence that he got not only went into the Office of Strategic Services, which became the CIA, but um, I'm sure Ralph Bunch got it to Tuskegee. And I say that on the basis that even though he was at the United Nations and um, wasn't directly involved with Martin Luther King, he did not hesitate to pick up the phone and call Martin Luther King and give him advice and encouragement. And he actually came down to Selma to march with us. Ralph Bunch was always, in addition to being the international scholar, uh, he was also somebody, also somebody that kept a direct connection uh, with the black community and the civil rights leadership. Uh, and uh, always gave his opinion. Uh, and he provided a global opinion, not only to us, but also to the founding of the United Nations. And so all of the work uh, that went along with the uh, uh, decolonization movement uh, came from studies that Ralph Bunch started in 1939 and continued throughout his time at the UN. The fact that Ethiopian Jews were able to move into Israel, for instance, uh, he had to, I mean, he had to have something to do with that. I don't have any documentation, but it's inconceivable that uh, that he could, was involved, would be involved with Haile Selassie and the UN at the same time, and not, and also with the creation of the State of Israel in 1948, and not put all of these things together. And the fact that. Uh, uh, well, Israel's existence, plus the integration of the Jews of Africa into Israel was all part of the behind the scenes work of Ralph Bunch, as was the uh, 
the intelligence that helped the Tuskegee Airmen to be involved in the defeat of General Rommel uh, in uh, North Africa. And they were then able to move into Italy. And they were defending the bombers that were bombing in, in Europe. And I understand that they never lost a plane uh, to a German air, air uh, power. Some planes were shot down from the ground, but none was attacked. They defended all of the planes that were going in um, from Italy and uh, North Africa uh, into the war in Southern Europe. And I want to give Ralph Bunch, uh, well, I can't imagine that happening without Ralph Bunch being personally involved uh, with both sides, both the intelligence of the US military and also the personal relationships that he would have with the Tuskegee Airmen. Oh, this is absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much. I've done a lot of research on this, uh, uh, but it's mostly uh, oral tradition. I'm understanding the advice that he gave to Martin Luther King, uh, and I was with him as he gave that advice. Uh, and he was always very rational, logical, and he resisted all of the emotional uh, and anger politics that could exist between the races or between uh, the developed and undeveloped world. I mean, he, he, was, he was a master mediator uh, and he could cut out all of the, I mean, he was, he was just a cold, logical, uh, analytical mind that he applied to highly volatile and emotional subjects. And in fact, he, um, when I met with him, with Martin Luther King, he said, now, I don't want to criticize you personally because you're absolutely right in your analysis of the war in Vietnam. Uh, but I hate to see you get involved in the civil rights movement and the peace movement at the same time. It's... Um, you're much too much exposed. And he mentioned that if anybody knew of all of the things that he was involved in, he probably would not be alive today. And he never was specific about that, but I know that um, he was supposed to be in the car with Count Bernadette when he was ambushed uh, Ralph Bunch 
plane was fogged in in um, Cyprus and they went on without him and he was to have been in that car with Count Bernadotte when it was sabotaged and Count Bernadotte was killed. Um, the fog in Cyprus kept him in Cyprus and that saved his life. Uh, a similar sort of thing happened in Africa when uh, Doc Hamashul, uh, his plane was shot down. Uh, Ralph Bunch was supposed to be on that plane and an incident uh, that happened in the Congo. So he had had so many close calls in his own life that um, he passed that information on to Dr. King. And I remember him saying that I probably could not have survived if people knew half of the things that I was involved in here at the United Nations. And he was cautioning Martin, and actually the meeting we had with him was one year to the date uh, before Martin's assassination. And it was almost him predicting that because of the variety of roles that he was playing that really tactically it was not wise and he was urging him to slow down a bit and last a little longer martin didn't make it to 40 though he was killed assassinated at 39. uh one year to the date from that uh conversation with Ralph Bunch. But he was quite honest with Dr. Bunch and, and saying that this is not my choice. Uh, I don't want to be involved in any of this, but I can't run from it. And Martin's expression was, I cannot segregate my conscience. Uh, I can't be for nonviolence in my relationships between the races uh, and classes in the world and endorse violence in international conflict. And so Martin was talking to him about this emotional and philosophical dilemma that he lived with. And, um, and, and agreed with Ralph Bunch that I wish I didn't have to be, do this, uh, but I, I, can't, I can't run from it. I think both you and Ralph Bunch lay your lives down for, for the cause and also had positions of power you spoke before about his participation in the march from Selma to Montgomery. How do you navigate that line between being a servant of government or an international civil servant and standing up for what you believe? Well, he had no problem because he was not coming down as an official from the United Nations. 
he was coming down as Ralph Bunch, uh, an American citizen. He made it clear that he didn't want to speak in behalf of the UN, and he simply wanted to be there as an American citizen, marching for freedom in his country. I'd really like to have your view from today. We've all seen and participated in the Black Lives Matter protests, and I just want to know um, how far have we come and how can we get to those ideals? Well, we've really come a long, long way. Uh, but uh, <laughs> this is a global human rights movement that was conducted by a virus. <laughs> We might not want globalization in trade, but the virus demonstrates the fact that there, that we are all part of a global economy. Uh, the mass communications of this generation means that they are marching in New Zealand on the slogan black lives matter <laughs> you know as well as everywhere else in the world i grew up in new orleans and the nazi party headquarters was 50 yards from my house <laughs> and so i i was i was having to deal with nazism you know at, at four years old my father explained to me that uh, white supremacy is a sickness and you don't get angry and upset with sick people and you don't let them get you upset but you know that god created of one blood all the nations of the world um, and they don't want to admit that but let god deal with them <laughs> blessings of my birth I lived and grew up in New Orleans with an Irish grocery store on one corner, an Italian bar on another, the Nazi party on the third corner, and I'm right in the middle. Uh, and so I couldn't go to the grocery store. I couldn't go to get on a bus to go to school without having a, a potential international incident. <laughs> and, you know, that was from, well, I remember as a four year old because. It was 1936, and that was the year of the Berlin Olympics. And my father took me to uh, the movies to see Jesse Owens in the 36 Olympics. And when Jesse Owens won the 100-meter dash, instead of giving him his medal, Hitler walked out. And my father said, now see, Jesse did not get upset. That was Hitler's problem. It wasn't his problem. His business was to keep his mind on his sport. And he just went on and won three more gold medals. And so I, I had those kind of lessons before kindergarten. So I was sort of born to diplomacy <laughs> and had no choice. One final note, if I could just take another minute of your time. Ralph, sure. Bunch such a legacy to all of us. How do we carry it on? The thing is, I learned a long time ago and from Ralph Bunch that it's not about me. It's about, you know, the work that needs to be done. I mean, there's no such thing as retirement. 
Dr. King used to say that uh, nobody in their right mind would think that they could change this nation and the world with this sorry collection of humanity that he had as a staff. And he said, we don't have any money. We don't have any anything that anybody thinks is important. We don't have. And uh, But there's nobody else, so we got to do the best we can. And he said, if we if we can make it past 40, we got to make it to 100. Because it's going to take a long time to straighten these things out. And um, he didn't make it to 40. And I have made it now to 88. And um, so far, nothing hurting but my knees. So as long as I can keep my mind and my heart going, I'm fine. Please keep at it. We are so grateful to you. Okay, thank you. You've been listening to The Lid Is On, the flagship podcast from UN News. This episode is one of a series of multimedia stories UN News is producing as part of the commemorations surrounding the 20th anniversary of the UN's Durban Declaration, considered to be a milestone in the global fight against racism. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you might like to subscribe to our new podcast series, No Denying It, which features the voices of young people fighting for a cleaner, fairer world, and also some of the world's best-known actors and influencers. No Denying It is available wherever you get your podcasts.